in your Bible to the book of John, chapter number 11. Why Christianity is special. Why Christianity is special. I believe it's special because of Jesus Christ. I believe he is special. And I believe that we need to make much of him and a lot less of us. All the Bible, all the Bible points to our Lord. The Old Testament is Jesus prophesied. The New Testament is Jesus present. And I, I think when we read these stories in the, in the Bible, sometimes we, we make little of him and much of the, of the participants, if you please. And I, I don't want to do that. I think John is presenting our Lord our Lord's deity and presenting him as the Savior of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the beginning of the end, the Alpha Omega, uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Shepherd, the Lily of the Valley, the Bright and Morning Star. I believe it's all about him. Amen. Amen. And I want to talk about that today. But if you'll be so kind to look in your Bible, if you would please, Just to bring you up to date, I preached out of this chapter last week, didn't hardly get through. I wanted to break it into a two-sermon series. But to summarize it, if you look in verse 1, you'll see Lazarus is sick. They've called in hospice already. The doctors have said there's nothing else we can do. All modern Medicine, technology has been expressed and expended. Nothing else we can do. We see also in verse 3, the sisters are scared. The sisters are scared. It looks like this is the end. Verse 3, the Bible says very plainly, and they said... um, Uh, I'm in Matthew, I guess I better get in John. Three, therefore the sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The neighbors are sympathetic in verse 19. The Bible says in verse 19 of the chapter, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Perhaps some of them were professional mourners. Uh, notice also in verse 31, the Bible says, The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. So we set the picture, we set the scenario, we set uh, the, the event, Lazarus is sick, sisters are scared, the neighbors are sympathetic. And then today, I'd like to magnify this, Jesus is the solution. In all of our situations, whether the sickness, sorrow, Jesus is the solution. 
Our friends and neighbors may be very sympathetic. They may even gather to prayer. Some even offered to help with our monetary or physical needs. But they are never the solution. The Savior will always be the solution. In verse number 26 or 25, 26 as Jesus approaches the situation, sympathetic neighbors, scared sisters, and a now no longer a sick patient, but a dead Lazarus. Jesus has always proved to be the solution. To a scared and bewildered sister, to a bereaved and now a sorrowing sister, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that makes chill bumps rump down my toenails. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now underline this next phrase because it's very significant. Believeth thou this? In your individual situation today. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the solution? Our solution is not found in the Baptist church. It's not found in a denomination. It's not found in any other abomination. Our solution is found in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe when you go to your last abode, six foot grave, full of dirt, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the solution in that situation? Do you believe when this old life has run its course and Wrinkles and hurt and pain and agony begins to creep in on you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the final and ending solution? Do you believe that? You mean you're not here today just because it's Sunday. You're here because you believe He is the resurrection and the life. You mean you're not here today to show off your fancy duds. You're not here today to show everybody that you're fundamental. You mean you're here today not because you didn't get a ticket to the race. You're here today because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is the solution to all of our hurts and our anguish and our pain and our sin and our sorrow. He's the answer. Christ is all I need. Christ is all 
I need. I think I'd like to talk to you today. Notice that little statement, I am. It's not a very big statement, just I am. I wonder what that statement, I am, what significance is that little phrase, I am. That's the very thing that God told Moses yonder in the book of Exodus. When God told Moses, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, Lord, who will I Tell Pharaoh sent me. God said, tell him I am. Are you glad he didn't say I was? Or I used to be? Or someday I hope to be? I am. That statement is Jesus Christ's declaration that he is almighty God in the flesh. I am is his statement that I am who I am and who I say I am. I am just exactly who I said I am. With God, everything is right now. I am. That statement, that very little two words is saying that Jesus Christ is designating to himself deity. Equal with God, co-equal with all the other Godhead. He is God in the flesh. You like that? That's his statement. The rest of it, the resurrection and the life, is the proof that he is who he said he was. I am deity. Resurrection and life. Look, watch me prove it. Now, if anybody else can raise the dead and produce life, he must be God. But if no one else, the Bible says in John 1, verse 4, in him is life. And the life was the light of the world and light of men. Do you know anybody who can produce life? In him, Christ, the word, the one that was made flesh, in him is life. When Adam was laid out in the Garden of Eden there, he looked like a man. And probably if he laid there long enough without a bath, he would smell like a man. But there was something missing when Adam laid out there on the ground. Does anybody know what it was? Eve did not call the doctor. You'll get it after a while. Eve wasn't there yet. Rest. Uh, Let's go on. And God breathed into Adam 
the breath of life. We may be able to fly faster. We may be able to go higher. We may be able to to transmit farther. We may be able to build the biggest locomotive, the fastest plane, the biggest bomb. We can do everything in the world, but only God can produce, sustain, and resurrect life. I don't know if that says much to you or not. But when he said, I am, he says, I am God. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that's the proof that I am God. I just thought I'd drop by today to tell you three or four things that we learn in this text. Last week, we learned that Jesus Christ is a compassionate individual because the Bible says when he saw the, the, the hurt in Martha and Mary, he saw the agony, he saw the distress, he saw, the Bible says that Jesus wept. I'm glad I got a God that feels what I feel. I'm glad I have a God that empathizes with me. I'm glad that he was just like me, tempted in all fashions such as I, and yet without sin. I'm glad that Jesus knows what it is to be hungry, what it is to be thirsty, what it is to suffer pain, what it is to be crowned and blood running down his face, and what it means to be whipped across the back, and what it means to hurt. I'm glad I have a Savior That is compassionate. And when he saw the women weeping. And when he saw the hurt. He wept. Then I said also last week. That maybe he saw something deeper and farther. Than what you and I would have seen if we'd have been there. I've been to funerals. And and I've seen uh, the, the, the distress and I've seen the out of control emotions run its race and I've witnessed all of that and I made this statement last week that I've never preached a funeral in 45 years that before I went behind the podium I did not ask God to help me feel what the family feels before I said anything you say why would you do that Do you know when God called Ezekiel to preach to the captives down yonder in Babylon? God said, Ezekiel, for you say one word to the Babylonian captivities. I want you to go down there and sit where they sit. And I want you to feel what they feel. And I want you to experience what they experience. And when you have experienced and felt what they felt, then you have a right to be able to say what you're going to say. And I just thought years ago as a 26-year-old pastor, dear God, that's longer than time itself. And uh, I just thought maybe the first funeral that I ever preached and I was scared to death and didn't know what to say. I just thought it would be good if I'd ask God to help me feel what they feel and I might be able to help them in their distress. You know, God felt the same way about us when he sent his only begotten son to this world. See, God could have spoke the word and all of us end up in heaven. Because he makes the rules. 
God does not have to touch. God can say the word and all comes into his being. God did not get a master carpenter to build this creation. God just stood out and spoke, man, and it all came into being. I'm glad of that. But God, I think, wanted to feel what we feel. And God sent a Savior. And he took upon himself the flesh of man. And experience what you and I experience. Uh, the song says, if that isn't love, then the oceans are dry. If that isn't love, there's no clouds in the sky. See, God proved his love to us. And came down here. And became a compassionate savior. Not only in the story I see that he is a compassionate Savior. Could I please help you today? Jesus, number two, is in control. Now I want you to see this. Look in your Bible, if you would please. And I would like for you to see this in verse 38 through through 44. And the Bible says in verse 38, the Bible says in Jesus, therefore, again grown in in himself, cometh to the grave. And it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Now the liberals and the progressives and the ones that's not subculture believe that Jesus did not die but was only in a coma and was swooning at this time. But now to do that, they've got to change these verses, which is nothing to them. Because they changed 3,000 verses in this Bible. And they even took out 30 they didn't like. Thank God I'm subculture. Jesus said unto her, saith I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lift up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou heardest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. You get that? You know why Jesus even prayed one prayer to the Father? For the folks who standing by his benefit. He didn't have to ask God the Father to raise Lazarus. He is the resurrection and the life. You understand that? He does not cause resurrection. He will not implement resurrection. He is the resurrection. If Jesus Christ is to walk into the graveyards in this world, everybody in the graveyard would come alive and stand up for the glory of God. Why? Because he is. 
Now I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a monotone voice. Don't want to make anybody upset by raising our voice. He cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. I'm talking about somebody's in control here. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Not only is Jesus compassionate, I learned that from this story. But I learned also that Jesus is in control. If you would read in verse number four, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, the Bible says that Jesus was in control. If you read back in verses 11 through 15, and we find that Jesus has died, we see also that Jesus is still in control. Jesus knew he was sick, and he waited. And he told the disciples in these verses that I am glad he is dead for your sakes. (laughs) Have you ever gone to a funeral and told the family, I'm glad he's dead? What if I told the funeral I just heard from Jesus and he said, he's glad they're dead. But Jesus told the family, or told his disciples, he's dead, I'm glad he's dead, and I'm glad he's dead for your sakes. Because you're fixing to see something you could not see at a county fair. You could not see it at the recent carnival. You cannot see it if Udini was here. You could not see it on NBC, ABC, and BULL. You are about to see the glory of God. He was in control. Let me illustrate that. He's in control by what he says and what transpires when he says it. He's in command. Command number one. You ready? Look at this. Command number one, verse 39. You got this? I've written this in my Bible. Command number one, command number two, command number three. Command number one, take ye away the stone. If our Lord had created the stone, surely he could have moved it. Why, by just his word, he's calmed the seas. Is that not so? By just his word, ladies and gentlemen, he's healed the blind. Just by his word, he's created hundreds of meals, thousands of meals out of just a few loaves and a few fishes. 
By his word, he's opened the blind eye. By his word, he's created wine out of water. By his word, ladies and gentlemen, he could have done it without a squirm of a minute. But he says to those who stand by, move the stone. You think maybe God is saying, if you'll do what you can do, I'll do what I can do. If you'll do what you can do, I will do what you cannot do. Move the stone. (laughs) And of course, we have good reasons why not to move the stone. Because if we move the stone, what an odor is going to come forth. How embarrassing will that be to the family? How degrading that will be to the family for the stone to be moved and to watch and see with your own eyes the decomposing of a brother. Jesus said, don't worry about stinking. Do you know that anything that's been dead four days stinks? I know a lot of churches have been dead longer than that. I know a lot of Christians have been dead spiritually a lot longer than four days. Does that mean your life stinks before God? Move the stone, he said. Who's in control? Tim, ask Who's in control? It just looks like everything's out of control. He's dead. The women are sorrowing. The neighbors are sympathetic. Oh, what a sight. And then walks in Jesus. And he takes over. And he says, move the stone. And... If I read it correctly, they moved the stone. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and when he got through being a blessing to all about trying to prove to them that he said he is who he said he was. Then he has another command. Now, I've written in my Bible, this is the biggie. Water to wine, that's fine. Blind man seeing, that's wonderful. Blind man, I mean a a, a sick man healed at the pool of Bethsaida, wow. Wow. Look at him run. Huh? Come on. Help me now. Help me, would you? Those are miracles. Nobody else can do them. But now those are subcultural miracles. They're not the biggie, 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 biggie. Amen. Creation of bread. The multiplication of bread and fish. Well, you know, that's, it's okay. 
But this one, you don't get this from 7-Eleven. Walmart ain't got these. You've got to go to, what's the new one down here? What? H-E-B. You've got to go to H-E-B to get this one. You don't get this one, 7-Eleven. It's not a clicky. This one, okay. I can go along with moving stone. I can handle that. But we're fixing to get to something that's just a little bit out of the ordinary. His second command. Lazarus, come forth. Boy, if this don't work, he's going to look like a real fool. I bet the disciples over here under a rock, I hope this one comes off all right. Now, I've seen him do some mighty, mighty big deals. But this one, you don't get from the mail order catalog. You can't get on the internet and get this one. Lazarus, come forth. Woohoo! I wonder if Lazarus said, stinking off. Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> How would you like to have been there when you watched old Lazarus come floating out of there? You say, how do you know he floated? He couldn't walk. He was bound. Nobody wanted to touch him because he stunk. And he comes floating out of that tomb. Do you think maybe somebody might have said, Amen. If I'd have been there, I'd have been scared stiff. I'd have faked to shout just to get to running in the other direction. <laughs> Be honest now. I know as spiritual as you are, it wouldn't have shook your Christianity. No, sir, you've been watching the religious channel. Lazarus. We're talking about who's in control. Lazarus, come forth. And we're worried that he can't handle our petty cash problems. But you don't understand, we're having family problems. I don't understand. It's you that don't understand. If he can do this, he can handle your problems. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. But thanks be unto God to give us us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Man, I'm talking about the water walker. I'm talking about the mountain mover. I'm talking about the healer. I'm talking about the divine physician. I'm talking about the great I am. The resurrection.
Well, he come floating out of there. We got the resurrection part okay. Would you think I'm kind of correct and he's in control? First he says, move the rock. I can see now if those folks have been Baptist. So who do you think you are? You move the rock. This is not my day to be rock moving. It's somebody else's responsibility around here to move rocks. I wasn't trained in rock moving. And by the way, there ain't nobody watching. So I can't move the rock until I have a crowd. Remove the rock. Second command, Lazarus, come forth. May I say, there ain't nothing subcultural about that. Oh, by the way, that other crowd don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Easter's about rabbits that lays eggs. Their total extent of their theology is the miraculous when the rabbits lay eggs that are colored. That's what Easter is all about to ABC, NBC. But you subcultural folk who is so dwarfed in your intellect still believe that he is in control. And that when he spoke, not only did men obey, but all of nature obeyed. Lazarus, come forth. And he came floating out of that tomb. Could I please give you his third command? Verse 3. And many of the Jews, no, verse 44. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Underline them now. Them. What's them got to do with this? He said unto them, Loose him and let him go. He said unto them, Get those stinking grave clothes off of that alive man. He has no business walking around in grave clothes because he is no longer dead but alive. Saved but yet bound. 
alive and bound. My Bible said, if the Son make you free, you shall be free indeed. Loose him, they said. I have made a note in my notes. My purpose on this earth is to loose anew from the grave clothes of this old world that hinders you from honoring God with your life. How many Christians has been resurrected from a spiritual death and raised and given life eternal, still walking around to the same old haunts and the same old habits and the same old things and doing the same old thing. There's no victory in their life. It's just a, a, a walking dead man. Do you have any idea where church people got the idea of wearing new clothes on Easter Sunday? Well, we don't wear anything anymore on Easter Sunday. But used to, people wore new clothes to church on Easter Sunday. They left their grave clothes at home. And they bought new clothes. And war to a resurrection service because it's significant of Jesus saying, loose him. Get them dirty, stinking, worldly clothes, dead clothes off of him and let him go. That's subculture. Because who dresses up to go to church anymore? We dress down to go to church. We put on our grave clothes to come to a resurrection service. I swore I wasn't going to preach. I was just going to kind of monotone it today so I could help you a little bit. Jesus said, loose him. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Thank God. The Son make you free, you shall be free, absolutely, totally, indeed. Amen, Amen, buddy. I don't want to come to church with my grave clothes on. Now wear grave clothes at the house. Yeah. If you come to my house, you'll see knees and legs like you've never witnessed in all your life. I walk out in the front yard and my wife says, honey, please don't walk out there like that. (laughs) Then I ask her to interpret like that. I got special shoes I wear at the house. I like seeing my toes. When I walk. Shirts that I wear at the house. uh, Feeding the dogs and the animals. And doing all that hard work at the house. I've got grave clothes. 
the house. I don't come to church in my grave clothes. You can come any way you want to, and I, I love you, and you're welcome. Nobody, if they ever make you feel feel bad about it, tell me, I'll shoot them on the spot. Bang! For the glory of God. And we're not to be critical. Amen? Everybody's welcome in this place. I don't care who it is, and I don't care how uh, they, you are, but let me tell you something. Uh, tonight, I will be addressing some areas that I think leadership in our church should be an example to folks. And our leadership, if they're right, I don't have to say anything about it. People will look and say, hey, I wonder why everybody's dressing so in resurrection kind of clothes. You know, I would not offend you and hurt you for your clothes. Not at all. I, wouldn't, I don't want to do, I wouldn't do that at all. But Jesus said, get them grave clothes off of him. He's been resurrected to brand new life. He don't need to be smelling like the graveyard. Can anybody say amen? And you say, well, preacher, you just made me mad. Well, you can get glad in the same stinking breaches you got mad in then. He's in control. I got to close. I learn also in this story, he's not only compassionate, Jesus is in control. Jesus is the Christ. Oh, yes, the promised one. Oh, yes, he is the promised one. I want you to notice what Martha said in verse 47, if you would, please. Look what Martha said. Oh, yes. Verse 47. Martha didn't say in verse 47. Martha said in verse 27. Would you folk quit sidetracking me and getting me confused? That's what happens when you're subculture. You can't think like everybody else. Verse 27, Jesus said in verse 25 and 26, I'm the resurrection of the life. Do you believe this? Martha said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Several times Jesus said, I am. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am from above. I am before Abraham. I am the resurrection, the life. What is so good about every one of those? When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he turned just a few loaves of bread into enough to feed 5,000. When he walked up to a blind man that had never seen the light of day, Jesus took some spittle and some mud and mixed it together and laced it across his eyes and said, I am the light of the world. And for the very first time, this man saw light. He 
He told the woman at the well, I am the water of life. You drink of me and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters, not stale water, not a pond, not a mud, not something that stales our life, but produces in us a spring, if you please, of living water. Jesus proved every time he said, I am something. And then today, if this does not prove it, If this does not prove that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, when he walks up to Lazarus' tomb and takes command and says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes floating out of that tomb. Wow. I wonder, I bet everybody there must have absolutely embraced our Lord as to whom he said he was. I close with not only is he in control, not only is he Christ, but three, he's very controversial. Hmm? He's controversial. That's where all the eggs lay. Either he is who he said he is, or he's not who he said he was. I bet you if that very miracle happened in front of this crowd, some of you still would not believe. You might act like you believe. You might join just to keep from being embarrassed. But notice verse 47. Eyewitnesses saw it. And the Bible says in verse 47 that, uh, verse 45, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had Seeing the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things had been done. Verse 53, and from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Now, if they'd had any sense at all, they should know it won't do any good to kill that bird. You can't kill the resurrection and the life and have it last very long. Shows how smart they were. Well, we'll just kill him. Really? Boy, that's going to take everything out of the, out of the picture. You're going to kill the resurrection and the life and he's going to stay dead? I just wonder, what do you believe? And how are you reacting to your belief? If your kid gets sick, the first call should not be to the doctor. First call ought to be to the grand physician. And then go to the doctor. 
the great healer might heal him before you get to the doctor and have to pray your co-charge. Amen? You say, preacher, that bunch right there are absolutely crazy. I know it. But tonight, about the time that the ball game comes on, and it coincides with the time we start praising and glorifying the resurrection and the life, your true belief will surface. All those excuses you're making about Wednesday night will have to come face to face with what you believe about this man who rose or raised Lazarus from the dead. What will it take for you to believe and embrace the resurrection of life. Verse 47, I close. How many times have I closed today? <laughs> verse 47, and I've got to close because this is a closing verse. Verse 47, then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council. The Sanhedrin has met. And they said, what? Do we? To paraphrase that in the Tennessee language, what in the world are we going to do? If we leave this guy alone, all the world is going to follow him. And Rome is going to come in and tear down our temple and remove our country. What in the world are we going to do? Well, there's two choices. Number one, you can depend on Rome or Washington. Number two, you can put your faith in the resurrection and the life and put your allegiance into following he who is worthy of your following.